I started in July of 2019 and I got over 50 reviews, almost five stars. I think it was like 4.94 stars or something like that. <laughs> and then the onset of the pandemic happened in March of 2020. And you know, if you're, if you've been operating since then, you know that Airbnb was canceling reservations for everyone. And I was terrified because, you know, at the end of the day, I still had a mortgage to pay. And I was worried that, you know, if they, if someone was in control of my reservations, how am I going to pay the mortgage? Like, so, you know, under a friend's guidance in San Diego, he was like, Vivian, why don't you try Furnish Finder and even just post it on the MLS and see what happens. And, you know, they say that if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, you're not going to get it. You're just going to go crazy. So I snoozed my listing on Airbnb and I posted on MLS and I did it on Furnish Finder as well. I ended up getting a booking for three months. Welcome to Chai and Cabins, where we talk all things entrepreneurship. We have Vivian on the call today. My name is Rashmi, like don't rush me, and it's my pleasure to welcome you onto this podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Chai and Cabins. We are on episode number four, and I have the wonderful Vivian here with me. We had a really fun interview chatting about her career at Apple, working a W-2 job, and how she started investing in real estate. She started house hacking and then moved into flipping and then developed her skill sets a little bit. Her husband and her do this together. And then she started rehabbing some properties. And by her sixth property, she started to keep them and then started on her Airbnb journey. And then 2020 hits and she had to pivot. She actually pivoted into midterm rentals. And for those of you that are new and are unfamiliar with midterm rentals, midterm rentals are stay between 30 days to about a year. So they're kind of month long leases. They can last for several months and people come into fully furnished units so that, you know, all they need to do really is bring their bags and all the kitchens, the beds, everything's there for them to use. Um, a lot of travelers, insurance people will use them and we'll talk all about all of this in the podcast with Vivian. Vivian has a really cool company called Hestia. And Hestia is a brand that if you guys are looking, maybe you have a property that you're interested in and you maybe want to see if you can apply for her program, I highly recommend it. I know she mentioned that the memberships are on pause right now, but when they do come back, make sure you guys get some information on that. I do have all the links below as to where you can join uh, Vivian's Facebook group. She shares a lot of wealth of knowledge about how to price your midterm rentals, how to buy one, how to furnish one. And we had a really great conversation. I hope you all enjoy. Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. We have Vivian on the call today. Vivian, how did you and I meet? We connected through a friend? We connected through Dia. We were okay. walking through the hotel together and years ago, it yeah. was like due diligence day that day. And I was like, I couldn't <laughs> help but be mesmerized by your beautiful smile and your magnetic personality. I love it. And I'm so glad we met. I really look up to you in the real estate space. So tell us, how did you get started into real estate? How did you find real estate? I bought my first house hack investment property in 2004. Mm -hmm. I was 24 years old and there was a deal that my parents were like, you have to buy this. And I did. It was, you know, it was in Toronto. So today it seems like it's not affordable. You know, you can't find housing for less than 800,000 now. But back then it was like low 200s. So, and then the other thing was it had a base 
basement apartment. So I was able to rent that out for $750 a month. And my housing payment was like $925 or something like that. So I learned to house hack very, very early on, but I only lived there for about nine months. And then I got relocated from Toronto to Chicago. And then I bought a property there, a condo in April of 2008. If you know investment cycles in the real estate market, I was completely blind to what was happening in the housing market at the time. I just knew everything was hot. And little did I know that banks were starting to tumble left and right starting the beginning of April. And we closed on that property, I think on April 17th of 2008. So literally the day we moved in, I think we probably lost about 25% of equity within months. Really? Okay. So I've been burned in real estate before. So long story short, we spent too much time having fun. And now we decided to, my husband and I, we got married in 2008. And in 2015, we decided to buy a rental property mm-hmm. when we could afford to. I basically cashed out a restricted stock units, bought an investment property, thinking, you know, Austin's a good place to buy. And so then didn't have a strategy. Yeah. Yeah, we moved to Austin in 2014, a rental property after we bought a primary home. And then next thing you know, by 2017, I was like, you know what? I think real estate is going to be my exit out of the corporate rat race. Really? That's when I really started to focus on doing more real estate investing. And we flipped houses then. Really? Okay, very cool. I know you have this incredible flipping background. So tell us a little bit more about how did you get started in flipping? How did you learn about it? Did you take any courses or were you watching YouTube or were you like, I just already know how to do this? Oh, I knew nothing about flipping houses. I really just got mesmerized by what Chip and Joanna Gaines was doing on HGTV. And I was like, can this be? I well, will. luckily, my husband, James, he's very handy. He, you know, he went to high school and they actually had a course that taught them how to build homes, which what? is phenomenal. Okay. Like, why don't they have that anymore? They need yeah. to have kind of trade programs. And then on my side, you know, I have an analytical background, having worked at Apple for so many years and, you know, supply chain and operations. I spent a lot of time doing analytics and I thought, you know, the two of us combined, we could probably figure it out. But you can't do these kind of things without having a good mentor. And I was super lucky that a neighbor of mine, I was living in, a, in one of those master plan communities up in Georgetown. And this woman had mentioned that she flips houses. So never met her before. I sent her a message through Facebook Messenger. And I said, I heard you flip houses. Would you be willing to have coffee with me? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. And that you know, 90 minute coffee date completely changed me because I learned about, you know, what off market deals mean. Like I always thought you buy houses on the MLS. I didn't know anything about wholesaling or off market deals. And then I learned about how to pay cash for houses, which you don't actually pay all cash for houses. You use a bank and you leverage that using hard money. I had no idea about that either. And then she also gave us, you know, tips and tricks on, you know, how to find contractors. And with that information, I opened up our business, opened up our banks and we started hunting for deals. And really, I think a lot of people dive in too deep or too wide, actually trying to find a good deal. So they go all over their city, looking at all different kinds of houses. But I did it a different way. I hyper-focused in on one particular area or two. And that way I studied those homes. And that way, when I saw something come through, I could immediately tell 
if it was a good deal or not. I love it. Because I think some people like they're, you know, chasing, they're like squirrels, right? They look at everything. <laughs> yeah. But if you just hyper-focus on one or two specific areas, that will help you learn so much about that particular area. I love it. So so you reached out to someone, you, you found kind of one or two zip codes. This was in Austin a few years ago. How did yeah. you decide, hey, I'm going to rehab this property? Because that's a huge undertaking, especially kind of going into like, that's a whole different ballgame than just going out and buying a 3-2 that's ready to go. So how yeah, did you- I think we didn't try to do anything too crazy. Huh. We wanted to make sure that we were taking on a project that we were comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So for us, our first project was mostly cosmetic. We changed out the bathrooms completely. We replaced all the floorings. We scraped all the popcorn ceiling. We painted the kitchen cabinets, replaced the replaced the countertops and uh, repainted the whole house. That's it. We didn't tear down any walls. We didn't do anything major or structural or anything like that. Like I do not recommend that. Like I have a friend of mine on her first property. She did a bathroom addition and she also changed out cast iron plumbing. I'm like, are you crazy? Because you could have so many things that can go wrong when you do that. On your first flip, make it a baby flip, get your feet wet and then move there. You mentioned something about hard money. Can you tell us what is hard money? How do you find it? How do you account for it? I mean, I know what it is, but I don't know if all the listeners do. So when people say that you can buy cash, buy homes in cash, a lot of people don't actually use their own cash. They're using hard money loans. So hard money loans are basically higher interest rate loans. And they, you know, right now, I think the rates are anywhere between 11 to 13%. But the one thing you really want to focus on when you're doing hard money loans is how much the origination costs. And a lot of people focus too much on the interest rate, but not enough on the origination. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, the origination is a percentage of the loan. So 1% of a $100,000 loan is 1000 mm-hmm. right? But if you do 2%, it's 2000 So on a short flip, that origination interest or that in- origination fee can be a deal breaker for you. So I always try to find something uh, 1%, but that's because I'm an experienced flipper. But for inexperience, I wouldn't try to go for more than 2%. Okay. And how, how did you find these hard money lenders? You know, talking to people. Uh, networking. Networking is the most important tool. And honestly, when I before I quit my job at Apple, I was so scared. Like, who's going to lend me money without this magical piece of paper called a W-2? So I called 40 different lenders. I called commercial banks. I called hard money lenders. I called regular banks. I called mortgage brokers. Just to get an idea, like, what does it mean if I don't have a W-2 anymore? And I was able to find out, you know, which were the best hard money lenders. I love that. So this was 2018, you'd flipped a property at some experience and you knew this was your way out. What were kind of your next steps walking through that journey? And you were like, I'm sure you had an income number in mind. You wanted to replace your W-2. So what was that journey like? What, what else did you end up buying? In our first 365 days, we actually ended up flipping a total of six houses. Wow. And this is both of us with full-time jobs. I would say that we were both having so much fun. Like we only made $9,000 between the two of us on our first flip. But I think by the- Look at you. By our fifth yeah. flip, we were making like 40000 per property, which I thought was really great. But you also have to account for taxes and all that kind of stuff. And on our sixth flip, we were able to keep that one because we started making enough money to keep some properties. And that's the one I turned into an Airbnb or short-term rental. But I guess your question was like, did I know what I was doing? Not really. I mean, I just I just kept seeing deals on the horizon in the same area we were flipping in. And we just kept buying in that same neighborhood. And what happened was, this is a, this is a gem here. What happened was we ended up comping our own homes really because we did our first five all in the same neighborhood Mm -hmm. and when they appraised they would comp on our previous listing and we i would say we probably single-handedly raised the value of one particular neighborhood in austin i love it because we did the other six more 
after that. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, so the holes needed it. The holes needed it. They were old. They were dilapidated. They were in really bad condition. There's some pockets of Austin that could definitely use it. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, so how did you flip into kind of the Airbnb world? What brought you into there? I know you said you kept your first property or your sixth property. And then, yeah. So when I was about 17 years old, I was living in Hong Kong and I had this summer internship at a hotel where I got to rotate around amongst different departments. And that summer I learned about hospitality. My mom always thought that I'd be great in hospitality just because I'm really good at like taking friends out and showing people around town kind of thing. And never really thought of it as a profession. Then I, then I got this summer internship and I realized how much I really enjoyed hospitality and but who can afford a hotel those are really expensive and then with you know Airbnb coming around in in the 2000s 2010s I thought you know what a great opportunity for me to buy what I can afford which is a house and turn that into an Airbnb and then I can go back into the hospitality business and enjoy that for a little while so you know when the right property and the right location came up I thought what a great time to start so I did and it was really fun I love it and then how many Airbnbs properties do you have now? I hate to call them Airbnbs. I have one short-term rental that I have that we own. It's a little lake cabin. And then the rest of them I run as midterm rentals. Okay. Of course, they're on Airbnb, but I like to refer the refer to them as midterm rentals. So I have six midterm rentals that I co-host several others as well. That's fantastic. This is the perfect segue into midterm rentals because that's what I really want to talk about since you're the queen of midterm rentals and all of your secrets and our tips for us. So on midterm rentals, how did you start? your first midterm rental you were hosting on airbnb what happens for you to start considering short-term stays on airbnb for this house in round rock that was flip number six i started in july of 2019 and i got over 50 reviews almost five stars i think it was like 4.94 stars or something like that and then the onset of the pandemic happened in march of 2020 and you know if you're if you've been operating since then you know that airbnb was canceling reservations for everyone they were you know even if i had a strict cancellation policy they would can they would cancel just because the uh, their flights got canceled or they weren't feeling well or whatever it was and I was terrified because you know at the end of the day I still had a mortgage to pay and I was worried that you know if they if someone was in control of my reservations how am I going to pay the mortgage like so you know under a friend's guidance in San Diego he was like Vivian why don't you try furnish finder and even just post it on the MLS and see what happens and you know they say that if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, you're not going to get it. You're just going to go crazy. So I snoozed my listing on Airbnb and I posted on MLS and I did it on Furnish Finder as well. I ended up getting a booking for three months from a, from a family from California that was moving to Texas. <laughs> Y'all know that that's a very common theme. And then after they left, I got a booking for seven months from a construction team. And that construction team was just three guys from Dallas and they were working in the Pflugerville area, which is, you know, adjacent to Round Rock. And then I was able to host them for seven months. So in a span of almost a year, I only had two guests. It was, I was still cash flowing and, you know, it was, it was very touchless. The construction guys even mowed my lawn for me. So that saved me a bunch of money as well. So then I discovered that like maybe midterm rentals is really a thing. So I, at that point was losing all my hair, right? This is no, by November of 2020. I'm super stressed out, super unhappy with, you know, being in the corporate rat race, super in love with real estate at the same time. And I was like, you know what, let's, let's just figure out a way out of the corporate rat race. I ended up selling my Round Rock short-term rental and then I invested it into more properties and now I have six midterm rentals. Wow, very cool. So 
In your six midterm rentals, what are some tips you recommend for people? And for anyone that doesn't know, midterm rentals are basically stays longer than 30 days, but really less than a year. So people are kind of on a few months and they're moving in and out of spaces. What are some of your tips for people who want to get into the midterm rental space? How should they design their place? How should they furnish it? Where to buy a property that's good for midterm? So I think with midterm rentals, location is everything, first and foremost, because the people that are staying in midterm rentals are often people that are relocating and people that are, you know, just hang, uh, checking out the city, for instance, or remodeling. I wouldn't recommend a, a farmhouse in the country to be a midterm rental. That's probably not the best use of your investment. But I like to pick properties that are close to hospitals, close to highways, and close to major employers, but especially close to great schools. Because you don't just buy a midterm rental because it's a midterm rental. You buy it as an investment and you want to make sure that you have a secondary exit strategy. So my first tip is underwrite a midterm rental as a long-term rental. Okay. Because if it doesn't work out for some reason, you know, like we're seeing saturation in short-term rentals, make sure you have an exit if you need to go and fall back into the the long-term rental space. The second tip I have is for design, you know, you're no longer servicing a client that is just there for the weekend. You know, they're not living out of a suitcase. So have dressers, have super comfortable beds. I use Helix Lux Midnight. It is a super great bed. My son has it on his bed. I have it at my lake property. Relatively affordable. Always put the best bed in the king, or sorry, in the in the primary bedroom because that's where the host is usually staying, and that's who's going to give you the review. And then you can, you know, even do the Helix Hospitality line and put that in the secondary and third bedrooms. Uh, but those are, you know, beds are super important. I think, you know, having an ample collection of dishes and towels and stuff like that's really important. And some key amenities would be having a nice uh, blender and air fryer and you know for fancier places even a KitchenAid mixer so I have cookie sheets and things like that in my properties because you know people come with their families and maybe they want to bake a batch of cookies sometimes and having those amenities available is you know one less thing that the guest has to worry about and when you take your photos this is good too when you take your photos take everything out of the cabinets and place them for like really nice on your countertops and take a photo of them so that people see you know what kind of amenities you offer. I love that. I actually do that on all of my, even my short-term rental listings. Helps with two things. One, the cleaners know, hey, all of this stuff was here, you know, and then the guest will usually look. And the blender, I'm glad you mentioned that. We've actually been getting a lot of inquiries of people being like, hey, is the blender there? Like I noticed in your listing and we're like, yeah, it is. They're like, okay, great. And then we see the booking come in. I'm like, yeah. a blender that got me to book it? Yeah. And you can buy Vitamixes or Blendtex used on Facebook for way cheaper. And you have to think about the clientele. Like the clientele I'm servicing, like Hestia, we, we're we targeting people with over 100K annual incomes. And the truth is that people with higher incomes actually have better health habits, <laughs> right? They're smoothie drinkers, they're Starbucks drinkers, they, you know, like their green juice. <laughs> so having things like this that attract the avatar that you want is really important. 100%. So that brings us into our next conversation, which is Hestia. Tell us a little bit about that. If you're not familiar with Greek mythology, Hestia is the Greek goddess of hospitality. And I thought, what a great way to brand the properties that I that I market for and I property manage for, where, you know, it's easy for someone to see the Hestia brand, you know, hopefully this is the idea at least, and say like, oh, that's a premium midterm rental. It's kind of like going on 
on booking.com or Expedia, you immediately see brands like Ritz Carlton or JW Marriott. You know that that's going to give you that luxury experience. And then if you see La Quinta, Motel 6, you know, Super 8, you know that that's going to be an economy experience, right? But there's nothing wrong with either one, but it's placing that that brand image into the client. So someone that that lives in a, you know, nice home in a good neighborhood makes $100,000 a year, they might gravitate to a brand like Hestia as opposed to another brand they're not familiar with. Very cool. So what does Hestia do? So you mentioned it has midterm rentals. What does that mean? Well, we are a portfolio of midterm rentals. We vet all the properties. We walk through all of them. I property manage for quite a few of them. And basically it's an experience, right? We want, you know, a lot of our clients are insurance housing Mm -hmm. and I want these properties to be so nice that when they tour the property, the first thing they say is, yes, that's what I want. And it's important for us to, you know, develop of a quality and a standard that is acceptable to the clients, to the guests. I love that. So you mentioned something about insurance clients walking the property. So can you walk us through kind of how does that start? You know, when do they walk the property? How do they choose a property? Maybe the, the process of how all of that happens. I don't think a lot of us sure. are. If someone owns their home or even a renter, but let's talk about homeowners. If they experience some kind of water damage, like their dishwasher may have flooded and ruined all their floors in their house, or their home was struck by lightning or the caught on fire for some reason or another, they will then be put in touch with a relocation housing specialist through their insurance company. And then what they'll do is they'll contact a company like us where we have a lot of inventory and they'll say, hey, we have a client that's looking for a property near this school or this employer or this zip code. Then we'll submit our proposal with the property that we have available. And one of two things happens. One, they'll say, hey, this is approved. Can the client walk it? Or they'll say this is approved. If they can't walk it, what other ways can they see more information? So here's where, you know, we will set up the appointment with them and walk through with them so they can see the property uh, and experience it. If it's not available, then we have YouTube videos that showcase the property in that way. If someone's staying in my midterm rental, I don't like to interrupt their stay. Right. Do you have cleaners go through while they're staying? Like do you have once a month clean or anything like that? Yeah, I require 30 day stay cleans. And this is so important. Do <laughs> not let the client not let you go in. I I had a booking on another OTA that they booked for the first month. And for some reason, I don't know why my pricing was all wrong, but they booked through Verbo actually. It was an extra thousand from what, what I normally charge. So I was ecstatic when I came in and it was a dad and two kids. And you know, it was strange because I didn't see much movement on the security cameras. I think I saw them a couple times. No, I'm not watching them. I'm just, you know, I have a glimpse at them every now and then. And I noticed that nobody was around, but then I, you know, I has to all of our Hestia clients, as long as I know they're staying in our homes, I will send them cookies. And so we Aww. sent them the batch of cookies and the cookies were still sitting outside and the 30 day came clean. And then so I sent my cleaners and the cleaners called me and they sent me all these pictures of dead flies all over the house. I'm like, what is going on? And they had left some birthday cake out. They had left a sink full of dishes and then they left the garage door open to the, the entrance through the house. Mm-hmm. So it was summertime and all these flies came into the house and died because there's no water source. And so the cleaners cleaned and checked the cameras and the, the family never came back. But then they extended their stay for another month. And I was like, okay, well, at least the house is clean now. But can you imagine 
if nobody wa- walked in there, like what you would have found, it would have been terrible. And and you just never heard from them again? Nope. Well, they extended and then they moved out. You know, I communicated with them. They communicated me with with me like it was normal. Oh my goodness! But it was it was very strange. Really, really, really strange. But either way, definitely do thirty days thirty days stay cleans. Real estate is never boring. <laughs> if oh. <laughs> so, say I have this awesome property three two, I get it furnished nicely, and I'm like I'm, I want to get it rented out to a midterm rental thing. I'm just gonna go on Furnish Finder and put it on there. Like, what are my next steps? And how much can I expect to make on a midterm rental? Am I gonna make five hundred dollars more than a long term rental? Like, where what do you see as average rates? So I think the loose rule is about two times long term rate. So if it's you know if long term rental is two thousand, then you're probably in around through thirty eight hundred to four thousand a month. Okay, and that's sort of the the loose what do you call it napkin math. Um, and then where you market it depends on how much you want for your rental income. So mm-hmm. there is a document that Furnish Finder released at the Midterm Rental Summit in April of this year, and it is called the State of Midterm Rentals. Mm-hmm. So you can definitely, I think you can just Google it and you can find it. And it basically states that the best properties are the studios, one and two bedrooms or their platform because their platform is typically travel medical professionals. Mm -hmm. And if they are have a property price under $2,400 per month, of course, it's location specific, right? You might have you might have someone in California that's willing to pay $2,800 per month. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at least in the Austin market, most of them want to pay under $1,600 per month. Most of the travel medical professionals. So Furnish Finder, Although I've had a booking here or there, it's not really been a great spot for me because my properties are in the three, four, even $9,000 range. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it really depends on what your pricing is. So you can you can market on Zillow, MLS. I have my own platform, corporaterentalsusa.com. <laughs> and you know that's all Hestia homes. Sure. You have to qualify to be a Hestia home because you know we're trying to create that branding experience. So, but you know, Zillow, MLS, corporate housing by owner. Yeah, those are the big ones really. So if I want to get $9,000 for my home, what kind of property do I try? Does it need to be 15 bedrooms or can it be a four bedroom that's just decorated really well? Like what what gets me nine grand a month? The location's going to get you nine grand a month. Okay. Right? So this, this particular property is at a very elite part of town and it's a four bedroom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, great school, great area, not a ton of rentals, not a ton of furnished rentals. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, it was an easy yes for the family that saw it because it was beautiful. It was a Hestia home and it was just, uh, you know, a great, a great experience for them. Awesome. Pools, do they make a difference or no? You know, we've only had maybe three requests for pools. So I think most people understand that if they're, yeah, I would say pools don't make that much of a difference. But if you're in a master plan community that has pool access, by all means, that's great. Okay. I love it. Say I have a home in Denver and I'm like, I like maternal rentals. I want to work with Vivian. What do I do next? Vivian will say we're not in we're not in Denver right now. Hi in Denver. Okay. Are you guys planning to expand? You know, slowly but surely. Right now we're just in places I can touch. Austin, Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, and Austin. And then of course we have a little bit of presence in the Chicago market as well. So, you know, we want to do it carefully and we're actually in the middle of changing up our business model. So that's gonna take a little bit of time to refresh that. So we're pausing on memberships at the moment and then we will announce the next step soon. Oh, that's so exciting. You also come back and do a second round of interview. And yeah. so, so real estate's hyper-focused. If I were to buy, I'm just gonna be selfish and ask here. If I wanted to buy a property in Austin, that was gonna do well as a midterm rental. What would you recommend? Bedroom count, bathroom counts. I'm guessing a modern design does pretty well in Austin. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've been seeing a lot of de- comparing designs across different cities 
cities and different markets. And Austin has this really nice, beautiful, like a lot of people lean towards the modern bohemian style design. Whereas in the Midwest, I'm not sure if they're missing designers there, but there isn't a lot of nice properties. So I think if you buy a property in Chicago and you do it in the style of Hestia, it would really, really stand out. Really? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, for sure. But your question was... Basically, get- yeah, in Austin, if I wanted to buy a property, like how many bedrooms should I look for? Oh, yeah, yeah. So many... Or if not, different. So I see myself as the kind of person that likes to see around corners, uh, and I, you know, I do have my Facebook group, uh, Midterm Rental Wealth, with Vivian Yip, and I get to see the kind of properties that people have, and I'm seeing tons of three bedrooms. Okay. We we see that in the Airbnb market. It's the most saturated. Yeah, like, you two's gonna do so <laughs> if. Airbnb is saturated on the short-term rental market. The next obvious step would be for them to move into midterms. So you're, then you're going to have a saturated short-term rental market, then a saturated midterm rental market, but they're all going to be three bedrooms. So I would say I would focus on the four and five bedrooms personally. Okay. So go a little bit bigger. I think go a little bit bigger for sure. I agree. No, I, I've always thought bigger than red. I like to buy bigger Airbnb properties too. Yeah. Um, I mean, your incremental effort is not that much more. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I would buy like a little boutique hotel that has individual rooms and stuff. That's different, but not like an Airbnb studio. It's funny. I was just looking at one last time. I'm saying like I wouldn't buy one. I might yeah. know what the numbers work. Let's put it that way. I mean, I have two bedroom, two baths. I have one, two, three, two bedrooms, two baths. I have a studio and I have a two bedroom, one bath and then a three bedroom, two bath. So, I mean, they all do really well, but you know, that's because I've had long leases on them, right? I've had seven month and five month leases on each of them, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when I come out of those leases at the end of October, because I know so many people are sliding into the midterm rental market. So how did you find these people? Were they all insurance bookings or were they just regular people who were looking for for like uh, term stay? I have been in the real estate market for, you know, five years, very hyper-focused here in Austin. So people just know me as doing midterm rentals here. And in addition, I spent a lot of time making business connections. You know, we have a great network of, you know, insurance providers. We work with relocation housing companies. And I would pretty confidently say we probably have one of the highest inbound requests, housing requests uh, in the Austin market. Wow, very cool. So, so I- my network. I love it. <laughs> That's my answer to everything too. <laughs> I know you mentioned, you know, you were working, you were doing real estate for, for a few years out there. How did you, Abe, I guess I have two-part question. The first question is, did you mention what you were doing while at your corporate job? I know it's always like, should I talk about it? Should I not talk about it? And then the second part of that journey is, did you did you identify yourself as like, I do real estate? Or were you like, no, I'm a developer or I work for a software company? Like, how did you associate when you were going out to networking events? No, when I went out to networking events, I would position myself as a real estate investor because that's what I want. Even when I was working a W-2 job, I wanted to fake it till I make it. You know, it's like, well, it's not really faking it. It's really putting my label out there as a real estate investor. And that's what I wanted to be full time. So, you know, they say that when you say things out loud, you kind of manifest it. And I did. And to answer your question, I did work at Apple. I worked there for almost seven years. I had a really great career there. It's a great company. But, you know, I think my last role there as a program manager wasn't the right one for me. I launched the iPhone 12. I launched the 11, the 10, you know, all in different. One is a program manager and others as as a as a logistics right position. And while I loved most of it, you know, during the pandemic was something else. You know, you hear about supply chain issues everywhere, but imagine supply chain issues for the hero product of the company. How do you you know, how do you 
get through that. It was tough. Mm-hmm. It was tough. I can only imagine. Um, and real. And did you mention your real estate career then? Were you were you talking to your coworkers about like, hey, I'm doing this on the side. This is what's helping. Or were you like, so I learned really quickly that doing you know talking about real estate to your coworkers is probably not the best thing. Like you got to find real estate people and talk to real estate too. <laughs> because the people that don't don't get it, and then or they're jealous, or it's just it's just strange. That's yeah. why I think almost all my friends are real estate friends too. Or somehow they just think you're loaded. And you're like, what? I'm just not working here. No, but here's the thing, you know, I'm really lucky. I started at a corporate job and I had stocks and all that kind of stuff. So I started with about a hundred grand. But people are like, oh, you started with a hundred grand. But hey, I had to work for that hundred grand first. I still had to work for that hundred grand. So, you know, it's it just because- I'm currently yeah. wrong, but I think in real estate, you got to come in with a little bit of money. Like you have to make it somewhere else and bring it in here. Can you do it with zero down and blah, blah, blah? Yes, but I don't know, it's such a crappy way to do it. I, I like making it's my- a lot money. harder, right? Because you have to build that credibility. Yeah. And- Sure. If, I mean, and it is true. If you find the right deal, the money will come. Right. But if you have the, if you have your own money and you can showcase that you could invest your own money and do well with it, then other people will trust you. Then, right? Yeah. I so know where to go find that money too, and that comes with just being in real estate long enough. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. Vivian, I'm gonna add all the links down here below. Thank you for your time today. It was really good chatting with you. Thanks for having me as your guest. <laughs> I, love I love to see women real estate investors. I love to see women of color as real estate investors. I think there aren't enough of us for sure. And I uh, really thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast. Thanks, girl. I appreciate it. Thanks, girl. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye. Hey, guys, if you are enjoying this YouTube video and podcast, if you could review it, like it and subscribe to it, that would really, really help us grow. And if you guys want my completely free guide on where I buy all my essentials for my property, it's a full checklist. It's got little tick boxes, links to everything that I buy completely for free go ahead and head over to our Instagram page, Chai and Cabot. And in there, there's a link. Just click that, type in your email, and you get an email instantly to 